Hello and welcome to the Story X Story podcast, where we discuss stories across pop culture, plus give you advice on creating your own. It's episode 120, and I'm your co-host, Nigel. I am Tazzy, content creator and co-host. And as always, we're bringing you interesting discussions with diverse voices, and to help us out with our spooky conversation on Coraline... Is it Coraline or Coraline? Coraline. Coraline. Ah, I did that earlier. Okay, Coraline. We're keeping that in, by the way. Uh, here to help us with that discussion is content creator Daniel Morris, aka Dan's Distillery. Dan, welcome back. Thank you for having me again. It's good to be here. Yeah, and good to be corrected. So I'm going to remember that Coraline. Coraline. All right. So... I don't know how you got it wrong because she <laughs> she is constantly correcting people in the film. It is a thing. <laughs> But I know I did it once today already before recording, uh, and I was like, I'm doing it again, aren't I? Clearly, I did not pay attention to that film. We'll see how much attention I paid in just a moment. But Dan was last with us for our discussion on Raya. <laughs> I was going to say Raya, Raya, Raya and The Last <laughs> Dragon. Uh, so episode 73, you can check that out. We'll drop a link in the show notes. Uh, don't forget, you can subscribe to Story X Story on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, uh, wherever you get your podcasts from. You can also send us your questions and feedback to feedback at myamada.com. Uh, you can throw your thoughts at us on social media. We are at myamada on Twitter, at TV on Instagram, and TikTok or at Tazzy on all the above. Also, consider joining our Studio 77 Discord and be part of the Mayamada universe and meet others in the community. You can also consider becoming a Studio 77 member to support the work that we do at Mayamada and get exclusive access to events and artwork as well. So before we get into today's story discussion, let's update you with the latest from the Mayamada universe. <laughs> And we are on a mission, apparently, to pack as much into the remaining months and weeks of the year as we can. So that means conventions, that means events, and that means manga. So I will be attending the Moto Comic Con on October 29th and 30th. So if you happen to find yourself in Moto on those dates, come check it out. If not, uh, I'll do my best to take photos and uh, share them on social media, even though I'm not the best at that. But... I, me or someone else who do it. So I'll be heading to Malta, uh, taking whatever I can fit into a suitcase to sell. The plan is to come back with a lighter suitcase than I left. And that's number one priority. And I'll also be doing a panel. So I'll be talking to some local content creators, some local streamers about video games, about diversity, about their work, because uh, there's a big um, interest in gaming over there. Uh, so when I get back, I'll then be preparing to head to Leeds or near Leeds, Harrogate to be specific, in the north of England on November the 12th and 13th for the Thought Bubble Comic Convention. So that's another one that I've been to before, also been to Malta. Two very nice, in fact, probably the nicest conventions uh, I've been to to date. So I'll be bringing our comics and merchandise to both of those events. So if you happen to find yourself near Leeds, then come find me. Uh, the details of where the table will be, uh, we'll put those on social media. We'll shout out about that in the coming weeks. Uh, so you can get all of our manga there, including the latest series, Through the Fog, which is a story about a pandemic made during the pandemic and features Blake Sirius in his toughest adventure yet. Uh, and writing it was quite a tough uh, adventure as well during the pandemic. So as well as those physical conventions, we have live streams coming up we have another 
episode of our casual conversations with comic creators. So this is our monthly chat with a different comic creator as we look to uncover the human behind the art form. So you can catch the conversation, the next conversation on November the 8th from 7.30 p.m. BST. Um, and if you miss it, you can catch the VOD. Uh, and if you miss that, we'll put highlights up on uh, YouTube. If you're a Studio 77 member, you will eventually be able to access the full conversation uh, and every conversation we have uh, as part of your membership there. We have uh, the VOD available of our live stream video game roundtable. So depending on when you are hearing this, uh, you may have a week left to check that out. You may have mere hours to check it out or you may have missed it and you'll have to catch the highlights uh, again on youtube but uh, we recently had uh, a bunch of guests join us to talk about games we're playing and some of the biggest gaming news on twitch live so that was a great conversation so enjoy that one check out on twitch vod if you can and also check out our games night so every month we look to play a different game with our community uh, we are still up for debate what we're playing but uh, we're going to look to play something um, but in general every month we're looking to play a different game and just have fun playing a game uh, usually learning how to play a game but uh, eventually getting there and playing a game to a somewhat decent level i think we did well with the last one uh, i think multiverses was our last one that was a fun time um, so we've got the live stream stuff, uh, but we've got more physical events. So we have gamepad events coming up. We have our BFI South Bank event. So in games are monsters on Saturday, October the 22nd. So we'll be bringing spooky games to the BFI for their Halloween season. We're going to be bringing console games, VR and tabletop scares. So everything's going to have a, a spooky, scary vibe to it. And we're also going to be taking over one of the screening rooms to play the quarry on the big screen. So those tickets are available now. And you can also check out our socials because we're going to be giving a chance to win free tickets. But either way, uh, make sure you come check it out and get into the Halloween spirit. Uh, then soon after that, as part of our Do I Look Like a Gamer campaign, we are going to be having our Games Industry Explained event on Wednesday, the 26th of October. So we're going to be at Gravity in Wandsworth for a games careers event focused on parents as well as young people and educators. So if you are a parent, a relative, uh, someone in a school, college, uh, just generally close to working with a young person who is interested in the games industry, this is the event for you. So the aim is to have you gain a better understanding of how games are made from the people who make them. So once that talking is done, which is in the form of a roundtable discussion, we'll also be playing games. So In Gravity is an esports arena. Um, we're going to be playing at Knockout C. So the event is going to start from 11 a.m. BST. Details are on Eventbrite. We'll drop a link in the show notes. You can also go to looklikeagamer.com. So this year's event has been proudly sponsored by Rocksteady Studios and Splash Damage, and their support has meant that we are able to put these events on for free. And another free event that we've got coming up is Gamepad Online on November the 19th. So we're going to be back at Samsung KX, this time to produce the online version of our Gamepad event. So it'll be hosted by Tazzy. We're going to be bringing the Gamepad Esports Tournament, where teams will be playing across overcooked Mario Strikers and Knockout City for a chance at some cool prizes. You'll also get the chance to put your questions to our games industry guests 
live. And live means on our live stream, but also in person. So you can be part of the in-studio audience if you get your tickets quick. Those tickets are now available on Eventbrite, also at gamepad.event. So be quick with that. Come and join in. First time we're doing something like this, so we'll all learn together. But thankfully, thankfully, um, Samsung have a bunch of cool equipment and expertise. So we're going to be working with them to make this all happen. Uh, so that is all we're up to. That is most of what we're up to. A good, I don't know, 50, 60% of what we're up to. Now you're all caught up. Let's talk about some of the stories we've been enjoying this week. As always, we love to hear what everyone has been watching, playing or reading. So we'll start with our guest, Dan. Do you want to let us in on what, what's been captivating your attention this week or recently? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, yes, um, the House of Dragon is a it's surprising one because I didn't think I was um, I was going to like it. Did you like Game of Thrones? I did. So I, I liked Game of Thrones, but I thought that this would just be one of those spin-offs that wasn't really necessary. So I, I thought I'd, I'd give it a chance for the first episode and I thought it was a bit slow. But um, yeah, but I'm actually really loving it now. There's one more episode to go. I, I couldn't tell you who all the characters are, but the story itself is is really good. And when I say all the characters, I mean like in relation to characters in game of thrones but um yeah really enjoying that Andor, which is a star wars series on disney plus i'm really loving it's um yeah just really sort of gritty down-to-earth story um from the star wars universe and yeah i think the, the star wars stuff that they put out on disney plus is i think probably some of the best stuff that they actually do like better than the marvel stuff it's it's really good um see so, yeah, I'm, I'm enjoying Andor. Mm. In terms of games, um, Disney Dreamlight Valley has sort of captured my, my time quite a bit. Um, sort of like an Animal Crossing sort of game where you have to, yeah, just sort of befriend your villagers who are all sort of like Disney characters. And yeah, just really enjoying that. Mm, yeah, I've seen a Disney Dreamlight Valley sort of take over my timeline a bit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just an easy to pick up and play sort of game. Nice, nice. Also, I have a question about House of Dragons. Mm -hmm. As someone that does not like Game of Thrones, <laughs> uh, does not like the books of Game of Thrones, right, right. Uh, has attempted to read and watch it, mm -hmm. is House of Dragons <laughs> worth attempting? <laughs> okay, so what didn't you like about Game of Thrones? Was it the sort of political side of everything with the families and... I guess, yeah, it's just all the drama. It was like watching EastEnders, but it was based in a fantasy world and it didn't make yeah. EastEnders more interesting. So Yeah. <laughs> I mean, this is this is pretty much more of the same of that. This is, I'm not sure how many years, like it's a few hundred years in the, like before Game of Thrones. So it's like sort of how the family's got into the positions that they've, that they're in in Game of Thrones, basically. So um, yeah, if you didn't like that, I'm not sure if this one's going to... Uh, appeal to you. It is good though. I mean, give it a watch. I'd, I'd say maybe watch the first couple of episodes and see what you think. I feel like it, I can probably give it a miss. I'm not missing out on that. <laughs> I'll just wait to the end when it finishes atrociously and I'll be like, ah! <laughs> <laughs> I was right the whole time. So I have not had much time to watch much or do much of anything entertaining. 
But with that, I have been watching that time I got reincarnated as a slime, which I started previously at some point. And uh, yeah, I've been I've been jumping back on that. I am um, I actually started. So I've, I've I've watched I've rewatched quite a few episodes, like half of season one. So I wasn't sure where I was. Well, I was pretty sure I finished season one, but I wasn't 100 percent. So I was like, let me watch from the last one I ripped down that I'd watched. It was mid-season. And I, I, do you know what? I've realized that I know this is a great anime or at least an anime that I really, 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 really enjoy because I've rewatched what, like 10 episodes. I still thoroughly enjoyed them, even though I knew what happened in them. And that's not easy to do with me. Not to thoroughly enjoy them. Like normally, especially with anime, I'm like, yeah, yeah, I've watched this bit. Like, give me the new stuff. Uh, if I accidentally like go back, even like one episode or even like, you know, like Naruto's like super guilty of this, where it does those like flashbacks of times. That, and you're like, yeah, I know I watched it. I don't need the flashback. I watched it. I was there. <laughs> so it's like very unusual for me to like enjoy, enjoy like rewatching anime especially when it's been like not that long since i since i watched the first season but yeah i'm like looking forward to actually moving on to the second season now it's just such a fun anime i even watched it a second time like i'm like oh this is a really fun anime i really like it i just love um, rimuru's character and the tempest federation is just awesome i love the concept but yeah that's that's all that's been in my life at the moment it's been getting me through this tough week with 20 minute snippets of <laughs> of escapism and sometimes uh, you just need that yeah and i think yeah anime at the moment is uh my new not my new flex because i've been watching anime for years <laughs> but like my current short short because it's the short episodes that you can just watch here and there or or you can watch like free that's the beauty of anime i think you can watch one because you don't have that much time or you can watch free like you would like an episode of something longer yeah but anyway yeah i love the time i got reincarnated as a slime and uh i just want to it makes me do you know why i think i love it so much i'm proper rambling you're gonna have yeah. to <laughs> but um it's just because it kind of hits my um i want to watch something but i also want to play a game without actually playing a game because it's so gamified right yeah. Anyway, okay, I'm gonna watch this and I'll have an opinion. Yeah, <laughs> I do. But uh, go on about what what you've been watching. Otherwise, <laughs> I'm just gonna talk about. Okay. Uh, All right. Let me yeah. let me step in and uh, diversify the the discussion. So I've got uh, a few things. So I've been I've been reading a comic called Better Place, and this is one that uh, on recent trip to Amsterdam found myself in a comic book shop. Maybe not the first thing you think of for Amsterdam, but uh, there was. And I was encouraged to get this comic. I was looking around and this just, I don't know, it just, just stood out for some reason. It just I feel like it called to me. And I was kind of like umming and ahhing about getting it. Got some encouraging words, which were basically, you should get it. Uh, then I got it. So that's the story of that. <laughs> <laughs> so this is... So hard to convince you. <laughs> oh, no, yeah, this is a whole 30 seconds of, of debate. So a story about a uh, young boy who goes on imaginary adventures with his grandfather and then granddad goes away uh i'll leave it at that and then the the story becomes about this boy's 
quest to find his grandfather again. It's it's not what I thought it was, but in a in a good way, and it's way more quite emotional actually. I feel like I want to uh, share this with people. It might make you cry, though, Tazzy. I feel like I don't know. It's, it's quite a yeah emotional roller coaster. Sounds really like just from the description, it sounds very like touching. There's a word, yeah, yeah, very touching. Like, yeah, really feel for this kid. Uh, And actually, some similar themes, I'm guessing we're going to talk about in in, uh, Coraline, about parents who maybe don't pay enough attention to their children. There's some of that in there, but very well made. I think it was the first first comic by the creators, uh, and it's such a good... I don't know, like the, the medium of comics, like the way the panels can be used to create like emotion. It's done largely in black and white, and then it uses moments of color to highlight important things, significant, emotional, meaningful uh, things in this journey. Uh, it's just so well done. Really enjoyed it. So read that and watched Spy X Family, which is really good. Actually, um, it's been brought up, you know, as you've mentioned it. I think we've had other guests mention it. Uh, so now I have a Crunchyroll account. I can catch up on things that have been mentioned, but I haven't been able to access. So that's by who gets a family, basically, does what it says on the tin. So interesting, this like really cool spy, very accomplished, gets a mission that requires him to have a family for cover. So you kind of see him... Uh, I mean, I've only watched the first few episodes, but you see him put together the family to get this mission. What's really interesting and I like is that, so I'm going to do this without spoiling, but the family all have secrets. So everyone, everyone's got a secret that the other person doesn't know. And that's just an interesting dynamic in a way. Everyone's hiding something from each of the other people in this family. And yeah, just from what I've seen so far, very enjoyable and it's hooked me in. Did you finish the season of that, Tazzy? No, no, I got up to episode three or four. Oh, we're about the same maybe then. Yeah, so I, I need think to I'm, hop back on three. that. So yeah, I like that. So watching that, also watching She-Hulk, which I finished. I feel I've got a lot to say. I feel I might save this for a wrap-up episode. It's an interesting show. I feel like it's it hasn't quite it didn't quite grab me, but I liked the bits of it. I liked I like because it's very much a a show from a, a female perspective, and I like that and I can see that even though some some of it I didn't quite connect with. But then what I also liked is just it's it's fun. Like it's very just fun. It feels like people are just having fun making this show, and I feel for me that that comes through, and I like. Then there are elements that I, I don't like because as you are, I'm not even going to spoil it anyway, but I like the ending. I'll say that. I'll say that. I like what they did with the ending. Uh, I want to say more, but I can't. So I'll save that for another time. <laughs> I have yet to watch the ending. It's just sitting there and I'm like, do you ever get this where you're like, oh, I just need to wait for the right moment? Yeah. 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 yeah I'm at that. I'm at that point. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I like some of the characters like the, like She-Hulk, She-Hulk's friend. I think it's probably my favorite character. She's really cool. But then there are like meta things that I didn't like about it, like the discussion around it. Like I got a lot of, I'm going into my whole thing now, but I just, I got a lot of people who, I got a sense there were a lot of people who are only watching the show 
so they can see certain characters. I'm like that. I don't know. That annoys me. There's a whole. Uh, we're in at this stage of the MC where I don't know. People just seem only concerned with like who's in this show versus just enjoy the show for what it is and not as a vessel to introduce another yeah. character. Mm-hmm. That kind mm-hmm. of that's a me- that's not the sh- necessarily the show's fault. I guess that's a Marvel Disney thing that they've built up. But yeah, that that was slightly annoying. But yeah, I feel like I, I need to have a do a proper thing about this because I'm kind of jumping around. But uh, I liked it. It wasn't necessarily for me, but I like that it exists, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Oh, I'll leave that. I'll leave that there and I'll, I'll break down uh, some of that more uh, succinctly in, in a future <laughs> future episode. But yeah, so those are uh, some of the things that uh, I've been consuming. Uh, those are the stories that we have been enjoying. Uh, now let's get to our main story discussion. Today, we're going to be talking about Coraline, the 2009 stop-motion horror animation written and directed by Henry Selick and based on Neil Gaiman's novella of the same name. So, spoiler alert, we are now going to be talking about all aspects of this story that we have time for. So, if you haven't seen it, hit pause on this, go watch it, come back, and listen to the discussion. So, I will do a story recap, but before I do that, let's get everyone's quick take and general impression starting with our guest so dan what did you think of this story so Coraline is actually one of my favorite movies actually it's like my uh my sort of rainy day movie i like to call it but i I do think like i remember the first time i saw it i remember it just being a very dark kids movie like the perfect horror movie for kids is how i would sort of describe it um, but I, I just I just loved it. I love the characters, the world that they're in. It's got that sort of Tim Burton-esque feel to it. Yeah, it's it's just one of my favourite movies. Nice. Tazzy, how about you? Um, so I remember, I don't really remember first watching it, but I remember the feeling of first watching it. Like, I remember it just being like this really, really, really creepy film. And that I'm trying is. to think how old I was in 2009. And I fully can't think that. <laughs> That much. Okay, we're in 20, 2023. No, we're in 2022, 22, not 23 yet. Yeah. <laughs> so that was how many years ago? Um, um, what's that? 13 years. years ago. So I was like, I was a teenager. Yeah. As <laughs> 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 much as my math can do today. Um, I remember just being like, like, I'm not great with horror anyway, so... Like, even though this is like a kid's horror, that was just like a horror for me <laughs> in my teens. Mm. Yeah, like, I just remember feeling like super creeped out about it, but also like really appreciated the style and everything. And now watching it again, you know, 13 years later, older and questionably wiser, <laughs> it really let me like just really appreciate it a lot more um, and appreciate some of the themes a bit better like I, I recognized them before but like this oh, just like really got to appreciate like the animation style and just yeah like it's just a really really nice film like how it's made and yeah even though it's like creepy it's actually really wholesome and at the same time yeah yeah it does strike that balance of like charm and definitely definitely creepy um so I mean i 
first watched this as a fully grown adult because I only saw this last week. <laughs> <laughs> so we chalk this one up as uh, another film that Nigel should have watched a long time ago, uh, but only has because we have a podcast, which I am eternally grateful for. So yeah, I obviously with that come with a different perspective. It's really well crafted, right? So the, the story's well, well crafted. Obviously the visuals, the particular stop motion style is well crafted. I know someone who's currently working on a stop motion film and seeing some of the behind the scenes and the, the amount of work it is taking them and a the team they're on to do, I think it's an eight minute short. I mean, they've been working on it for months now. And it's not even, they've not even started filming um, for eight minutes. This is a hundred minute film that just looks amazing. So just the amount of effort, the amount of time, people hours is just like mind blowing to to get something that looks so good. And then the story, like you said, it's, it's creepy, but it has that wholesomeness, that charm. It uh, The themes are uh, strong in there. It's just a really well-crafted piece of art, piece of uh, story. So I was very impressed like watching this and I feel like that and this might become one of my go-to films to watch and, and re-watch. But hey, so I got the first time. So I got the first time under my belt. I'm very impressed. So I will, let's do the recap and then we'll get into the, the deeper discussion. So this is a story that takes us to the Pink Palace apartments where Coraline Jones struggles to adapt to her new life with her workaholic parents. While out looking for adventure, she meets a stray black cat and a landlady's grandson, Wyborn Weeby Lovat, who gives Coraline a button-eyed ragdoll that looks just like her. Coraline later finds a small door in the apartment that has a bricked-up wall behind it. But that night, a mouse wakes up and guides her to the door, which is now a portal leading to a parallel universe. There, Coraline meets her other mother and father, button-eyed doppelgangers of her parents, who are a lot more attentive and caring. She eventually returns home where retired burlesque actresses April Spink and Miriam Forcible cryptically warn her about some imminent danger. But Coraline visits the other world twice more, meeting mute other YB, doppelgangers of her neighbours and the cat, the same cat, who has the ability to move between both worlds and can talk in the other world. The other mother offers Coraline the chance to stay in the other world permanently if she agrees to have buttons sewn over her eyes. Horrified, Coraline tries to escape back to her world, but other mother stops her and locks her in a room behind a mirror. There, she meets the ghosts of other mother's victims, who explains how the beldam that she is uses the doll to lure victims into the other world to rob them of their souls. The ghosts tell Coraline that the only way they can be freed is by retrieving the essences of the souls from the beldam, and then she is rescued by other YB, where she discovers that the beldam has kidnapped her parents, forcing her to return to the other world. There, Coraline proposes a game to the beldam. If she can find her parents and the essence of her past victims' souls, they will all go free. If not, she will finally accept the beldam's offer and have buttons stitched over her eyes. As she finds each of the soul's essences, parts of the other world turn lifeless, leading to the entire dimension eventually disintegrating. Coraline then encounters the Beldum in her true spider form, but Coraline tricks the Beldum into opening the door into the real world, and after Coraline distracts the Beldum, she narrowly escapes through the door and severs the Beldum's right hand in the process. 
back home, Coraline reunites with her parents. And that night, ghosts appear in Coraline's dream and warn her that the Beldum is still after the key needed to unlock the door. Coraline tries to drop the key down an old well, but the Beldum's severed hand attacks her. And that's where YB arrives and destroys the hand. The duo then toss the key and the hand's remnants into the well and seal it shut. The end. So I mentioned like the, the stop motion and the, the unique visual appeal of this. So this is a film. It's a film actually with a, a very random night connection that I discovered uh, that manages to pu- really push the boundaries of what stop motion can do even though no one apparently wanted that format. So I'll deal with the, the Nike connection. I don't know if you, either of you knew this, but Leica, the company that made Coraline, is, is run by CEO Travis Knight, whose father is Phil Knight, who co-founded Nike, and then sort of helped purchase the animation studio and put a mere five million into it. So yeah, that's just a random kind of this like Nike connection. It's kind of like how... Um, like Pixar has an Apple connection, which not everyone knows that Steve Jobs was involved in in that. But I always love how these like behind the scenes things come together. That's so random. Like... <laughs> I had no idea about that. Yeah, is is yeah, it's just it's just crazy. Like the the connections that these things have. So I mentioned uh, a film that no one wanted, and like stories like this, like these behind the scenes stories, because. So the director, Henry Selleck, had he'd already made a name for himself with uh, similar stop-motion movies like The Nightmare Before Christmas and James and the Giant Peach. So this is a guy with some kind of track record. But when pitching for this film, the Hollywood studios were scared off by the stop-motion animation. So they deemed it non-commercial in an era where computer animated features were dominant. Others... And this is, I'm um, taking this from the website Screen Rant. Uh, others thought that boys wouldn't go to see it because the story had a female lead character rather than a male. And it was a similar concern that girls wouldn't go to see it because it was slightly scary. And after a lot of rejections, they finally convinced Focus Features to say yes. So there's a lot in that. <laughs> um, <laughs> I just I just like don't understand the logic behind people that think these I feel like everyone's got so people that think like this have got so caught up on like the marketing strategies that were put around based around toys to push toys and have just stuck to that and like just never never moved on and like never understood that that's not actually how people's brains work that was just the way to market things but isn't isn't actually a true representation of how people naturally think and feel like it's the kind of thinking that perpetuates stereotypes like i mean i can see the so if you've got so many, the computer animated thing, like people just expecting CGI, yeah. things like that. I can, I can see that because if, you know, you know, Pixar are doing so well, other people are doing so well, you just got more of that. Mm. But just the idea the, that because there's a female lead, like just boys wouldn't. Yeah. And because it's slightly creepy, that means that there's no girls that are going to watch it. Wanna, yeah. like, if anything to me, if I heard that, like without knowing about this film, like just someone said those two like combination of things i'd be like oh so that means that it's perfect for both audience because there's a bit of something for everyone not the opposite that there's a bit of there's nothing, nothing for, for either no, of them no one. <laughs> yeah <laughs> Just oh, that means the that they can go that. see them together like oh that means that everyone that falls outside of 
those like two stereotypes is gonna love this like i don't know like it is and i was going to say that the idea that just because there's a female lead means that some males won't see it but uh i haven't seen some of the discourse around she-hulk and uh <laughs> some of the other marvel films actually i, I can <laughs> see why people would think that but that's uh hopefully a minority it just doesn't matter it just is the story good is the story interesting yeah and yeah it, it's just uh it's just weird way to to think it's a very weird way to think yeah so then with this being a stop motion animation that they did manage to get made eventually and resisted the call to do a computer animated feature what impact do you think this had on the narrative versus having computer generated graphics i mean it's it's funny enough that the, the way when i watched it a, a lot of the times i'd be i'd forget that it was actually stop motion because it does look so good it just looks it's so smooth exactly so it it felt like it was computer generated in some places but i feel like with first of all i think stop motion is just the people that do it are amazing like being able to bring bring movies to life in that way is just an amazing feat like it's, it takes so much skill to do and i think because of that and with late Leica, is it Leica? Is that how you pronounce it? I don't think I can be trusted on pronunciations, but I'm. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I, I really like their, their movies. So, like, they've done that one. They did um, Kubo and the Two Strings. It just feels like it has a bit more heart to the movies, if that makes sense. Like, like I love computer generated sort of graphics, um, like animated movies, but when it's done in stop motion, it just feels like there's something, I don't know, something very sort of earthy or real about about the animation which i, I really love so mm. yeah i think um f for this movie is uh, like actually i didn't realize that they didn't want to make this movie in the first place so hearing that it's like or are they crazy obviously not yeah the, yeah, the, yeah you know because um yeah this movie just it just really works the story the, the animation everything about it just really works yeah so um yeah they should have sold it as the film Hollywood doesn't want you to see. You know? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I think as well, like the the stop animation, like adds to the story. I feel like it's the perfect medium yeah. for this story. It just helps tell it so well, I think. And because of like, not just like the creepiness that it allows to like add layers to that. But also because of like the, the other mother and like the other world, like it's kind of creation and that i feel like just just the, the stop motion kind of adds to that you know this world that's been created but yeah I, I can't imagine this being not stop motion and being as impactful yeah no i, I get it it's one of those things where it just it just fits like the the visual style fits the tone of the narrative and i, I can't even I can't put it into words exactly, but it just makes sense that this is stop motion yeah. and just a story about, you know, the the impact of the doll and that the characters look like dolls and they're animated like moving, uh, moving dolls. And I was in, especially in the early stages, just because I have a, a newfound appreciation for stop motion that's gone recently, just, I'm just like looking at like how you, you imagine they've had to place every frame they've had to place like the characters so when you see the characters like running and jumping and doing everything it's like oh wow this is all been put together and then shot and then moved in like an inch and then or even less than an inch and then shot again and then it's just so impressive and yeah it just matches the feel of this and it's also an adaptation so it's an adaptation as i mentioned on neil gaiman's novella 
And we've spoken on the podcast uh, before about when adaptations go wrong, primarily in uh, the video game space, also anime uh, that caught some of it um, as well. And this just feels like when an adaptations go right. Now, I hold my hands up. I haven't actually read Neil Gaiman's novella. Uh, I feel that's shame on me. So I'm going to add that to my to-do list to read that. But just watching uh, Coraline and seeing what I feel is or has been allowed to be its own thing, its own art, and taking advantage of the, the medium that it's in rather than trying to replicate or water down something from another medium now if, i don't know if either of you have read it um or if someone listening has read it and will say no they watered down this this and this but to me this just feels like something that has been allowed to flourish in the medium that it exists and an ad- adaptation gone right yeah so i've not i think i've read like maybe one or two nil gaiman books mm. maybe three now but i think just in general because I've like watched or listened to like adaptations from from things Neil Gaiman's written. I think in general, like they've been done well. Adaptations mm. of Neil Gaiman have been done well. Because like, is it Stardust? Is another one, and I I really enjoyed that film, but I've mm. not read the books. But yeah, and so I don't know if there's something in in either his style of writing that makes it easier to make that adaptation or maybe how he works like works with studios when they're doing adaptations i don't know but his work seems to translate well yeah because we know uh, neil gaiman can can write and uh, i do remember from our conversation uh, on princess mononoke which is not obviously not an adaptation for neil gaiman but he was involved in the translation and I remember yeah. during that conversation how he had to essentially fight to stop it being Disneyfied. Yeah. So, like, that strikes me as someone who who cares about getting mm. things right. And then, you know, I sort of said I, I couldn't quite put into words why this just works, but I did find a piece from a Medium post, which I'll add to the show notes, from uh, H.R. Starzek, who says that both the book and the film achieved a rare feat of injecting complexity and terror into children's media. Every element of the film comes together to create a world alluring to children, but inarguably off from reality. The ability for the film to capture the nuances of this unsettling tone is ultimately what allows it to be a successful adaptation. And I feel really that nuance of the unsettling tone because there's a lot of that in this in this film and that's why even as a, a as a fully grown adult watching it for the first time there's a creepiness to it that i couldn't quite place but yeah they just captured that so well yeah that that unsettling not quite right yeah which our, our human brains just like it bugs them out when things aren't yeah. <laughs> quite right like they're just off our brains don't like that <laughs> exactly it is, and yeah my brain was like just going crazy over that it's like there's something not right there's something not right <laughs> and i mean it because it is a it is a family film and it strikes that balance of being scary but not being like this is not a jump scares thing this is not a gory or uh, any kind of like violent thing necessary and and that's a that's a feat in itself to to be scary without go into the lowest common denominator of scares. So, and I feel there are certain, the reasons for this and see what you both think. But one of the things that struck me as 
I was watching is that so we see that when the film starts, uh, we see the need of of Coraline, so clearly not getting attention from her parents. So I mean that's that's scary uh, in mm-hmm. itself for uh, for a child. And then we get to the other world and other mother in particular, who on first glance seem to fulfil what Coraline wants on the on the surface, but it's that slow kind of something's not right here. And then you kind of, it descends into, this is kind of creepy. I don't feel safe. And then you kind of get to the reveal that the other mother is not even, that's not even her form. She's uh, known as the Beldum. And that becomes even more frightening because it's that, that thing you, you thought you could trust and, and looks familiar, but it's, it's not. It's actually sinister. And that is scary. And then the other like key one for me is that, all these scares, all this, these events take place in the home, which is supposed to be this, the safe space. So when she's running, she's running away from, yes, another version of her home, but home. And that's like the, the scariest thing. Mm. I think as well, just as you're sort of reading that out, what I realised like this, this, this film is a kid's film and it very much, or it's a family film, but it's sort of like, with the child in mind right and um it really it really like what seems to be the theme is about like like this idea of like be careful what you wish for like appreciate the family you've got but also it's kind of a very good reflection of like your adult life of this idea of like you slowly like things slowly creep up on you and in, in, in a way that you like feel comfortable until you get to a point where you're like, hold on a minute. I don't quite, I don't like this position I'm in. I don't like this job that I'm in. Oh, I don't like this, ooh. this path <laughs> I've chosen in life. I don't like this relationship I'm in. I don't know, like the, these things that happen to you in your adult life that just slowly kind of come upon you because there's like these little things that aren't quite right, but you just like, oh, but you know, and you're like, but this is better than the the alternative or like the thing that you really should be doing or or the path that is your own. Um, until like you get to a place where it's like, no, wait, this is this is terrifying. Like <laughs> this is this is not what I want in life. I, I don't want to be here. What am I doing? And then you kind of get to that point where it's like, you either got to escape or you are stuck there. <laughs> and it kind of does have that like real, real reflection. Um, there's like kind of like an analogy of of uh like life being just that little bit uncomfortable the way a dog will like get in like a position they'll lie down and like they'll be lying in just like a weirdly awkward position but once they're lying down they're like actually i'm just here i'm not gonna move like even though i might be like yeah, just, like yeah. my head's in a weird position or i'm yeah, lying it's not over too weird for me to move i'm just but gonna yeah, deal with yeah. It. <laughs> until it ultimately becomes like too uncomfortable yeah and that that's what this film is so even though it's a kids film and there's a lot of themes about like your parents and that that things might not be brighter on the other side and and just like waiting and and but also like the adult message is there as well yeah I did, yeah i mean like dan is that something that you picked up on sort of watching it or was uh, or like me are you just like now uh, i mean now now, now i'm <laughs> yeah now i'm sort of thinking yeah i mean it's uh i mean I, I i did sort of feel that the the movie does have that sort of sense of 
be careful what you wish for. You know, she, she, at the end, they all sort of appreciate being with each other. But yeah, I think the, the movie itself just has a very, I don't know how to really describe it. It's like a stillness, a sort of quiet creepiness that's all around, whether it's in her, even I think even in her sort of in the sort of the normal world, mm. there is this sort of creepiness around the house. And then when she does get to the other world, you know, it's it's more about the characters in that in that world, the, the way they move, the way they speak. That's that also, even though they're being nice to her, I think it's that sort of that sort of fake niceness that makes it a little bit more creepier as well. And yeah, and I think the in the same way as like as an adult, you like Tazzy, like so well put in terms of you get to a place where it's like it seemed right. And it mm. seemed like the thing you wanted, like, yeah. oh, now it's not. And how do I get out? And ah, you get Coraline having to make that decision where, I mean, from her perspective as a child, wanting parents to take more notice, wanting, wanting the things that she enjoys to just be more abundant. And then having to make that decision of actually which set of parents do I want to be with? Because I, I thought it was an easy choice, but now it's actually quite difficult and yeah i feel that's like a relatable you can swap that out for sort of life situations and that becomes a a relatable thing and maybe that's why yeah just even as a adult just watching this it just it feels like i don't know it doesn't because sometimes with media that's aimed at children you can you can pander you can uh talk down to them and i feel this doesn't do that it's very uh, it's very real it's very uh relatable for for life and just the way like i said before the way it's produced just it just feels like just a, a piece of art and it it does so well when using the medium to reinforce those themes so you have obviously like the, the character design and the environments but just like the editing so like the the transitions that because this is a film that takes place in two different realities and the transitions like blur those realities so you're kind of like where am I? What's what's happening? I mean, just the even the the act of like Coraline when she's going from one place to the other. She goes in through the door, and then she does that thing where she goes to sleep, and then she'll wake up in her own world. At least I think she's back in her own world. But there's moments like where I think initially when they, she was debating the the offer by other mother, and there's a moment where she's like other mother was tapping the side of her head, and then Coraline turned around. And then that blurred into like the dripping taps so or the sound of a tap in the head turned into sound of the dripping, the sound of the dripping tap. There's moments where like the, there's a shot of the sky, the moon and the clouds parting look like clawed hands from the other mother. And there's so many silent, just visual cues that just blurred those realities so well. I don't know if, uh, if there's anything that people noticed that, that stood out and or just creeped you out. I think it's it's they use the the use of color quite quite interestingly um because in the the sort of real world that all the colors sort of like drained out of everything it's mm. it has this sort of drab feel to everything in the real world and then once she moves over to this fake world this is meant to be sort of more appealing everything's more sort of colorful and it's yeah. sort of almost like the um what's that that story with the um Hansel and Gretel where they, where they mm, yeah. get lost and then find this, you know, the sweet house and yeah, I, that, like Hansel and Gretel was the the perfect sort of thing to link it to then because just as you were saying that, I'm like, yeah, the color in the in the other world is it's sickening. 
Yeah. Like it's that yeah. sickeningly yeah. sweet color. Yeah. <laughs> and exactly that. It's exactly that. The, the uh the sweet house. Cause uh yeah, it gives me that like just that sick yeah, sick there's nothing else. <laughs> yeah. There's no perfect, word that I can yeah. <laughs> That's a good description. Cause you you do have the because it's weird, like the the I'll say the real world is the muted world. Hmm. So the you just get that uh, that gloominess, and I, I guess hmm. it matches with Caroline's state because she's not quite happy where she is. So you kind of get that, and it's a similar thing to um, uh, when we talked about Inside Out in that film, when the family has to move from one place to the other, uh, and Riley, the one of the protagonists in that film, when they get to the new house, everything becomes muted because there's just not happy so it's that use of color to match the mood of that main character and then when you get to the other world like yeah everything's just bright and and fun and again on the surface seemingly like that's what you want right it's just everything's bright fun happy it's cool is what we want but then like as he said it's like just it's too much and it doesn't <laughs> doesn't feel right and it, it gets kind of sickening until it gets threatening and and very scary I think the the use of like a lot of the things or kind of like the foreshadowing um, that you kind of get early on in the film and then like the things used in the in the other world like I don't know there's like the the garden um, which obviously Coraline really wants the garden and like really wants to get in the garden and make the flowers grow and she wants she sort of asks for the gardening tools. And in the other world at first, it's like, oh, yeah, this lovely, amazing garden. And then um, sort of during the last arc, we've got her using the like the sniffers to cut the plants in the in the garden in the other world to save herself. I think there's loads of like little things like that. And you can really see sort of like the three the three stages, the beginning, the middle and the end that all like sort of have these little sort of running things in them. And it nicely ties everything up, I think. Yeah, and I, I guess that's one of the good constraints about stop motion. Because even, I mean, I don't know what the budget for this was. It's clearly sizable. But even with a great budget, I feel the nature of stop motion restricts you to certain locations because you've got to set everything up and there's only so far you can take that. So that means it there's that focus on the certain locations, like the garden, like the house, like the the neighbors uh upstairs downstairs um as well and it kind of that then gets woven into the the narrative because you have to return to these places i mean once you set up you've got to reuse it that's just being cost effective but in terms of narrative it it, it creates that self-contained if that's the phrase uh to use but like you say Tazi, you're you're going from you're going back to places and tying it into the narrative that way and in terms of like imagery so see so you've got the like the use of color, there's a lot of really good use of imagery, and I feel one of the the best ones is that opening sequence where you see the doll being put together, and then the significance that that plays into the narrative because it, it's a it's an interesting sequence in itself, and it has a bit of a creepy feel when you're seeing a doll split open, emptied. And, and then <laughs> stuffed again so that in itself but then when you think about the the significance to the narrative and like when you you see like other mothers using that to lure people like uh, children to her then that kind of takes on a, another level of just 
eeriness because it's like, whoa, how how many times has she done this? This process of like ripping out the gut, stuffing it, making it look like another child, putting that out into the world, just takes another level of creepiness, right? Uh, that opening sequence. But I don't know, what, what did you both think of that opening sequence? I was just going to say that it, um, it reminded me again, I think I've said before, um, it had that sort of Tim Burtonish feel to it. So um, what's the movie? Edward Scissorhands. Oh, yeah. know, I think they have a similar, I think it starts in a similar way when he's sort of, you see all the sort of mechanical pieces that's used to put him together. But yeah, it does have a very sort of eerie, very sort of, uh, what's, what's the word? Um, yeah, unsettling. Just, just, um, yeah, just very unsettling vibe to it. Yeah, definitely. And there's a lot of grotesque imagery, and I've learned that specific term is like a way to describe the visuals in, in some stories where, so for example, here you get characters that in the models, the character models, they have exaggerated features, and then you see that taken to an extreme when uh, other mother starts to sort of transform and eventually into her uh, her true form. But when in that first transformation stage when she looks less like Coraline's actual mother yeah just things are off again that just it's just off and just in a general sense of where the the other world uses the the technique of taking what was familiar and safe and then it becomes foreign and threatening so again uh, I mentioned this sort of all taking place in the home like Coraline's home, I mean, it is a new home, but it is, it is home where you're, you expect to be safe and things look familiar. So the dining room, the bedroom is all familiar places. And then suddenly, as we go deeper into other world and the, the true nature of other mother starts to come out, suddenly it's like, oh, this, this should be the safe place. But now it's like, it, it, I don't feel safe here. I feel in danger almost. And that's an unsettling thing as well. I am. Um, so the, the opening scene... I actually found found quite satisfying. <laughs> <laughs> Don't know what that says. <laughs> I think what makes it really unsettling is actually the the music, because like honestly and truly, it kind of looks like one of those videos the compilations that's like uh, the most satisfying things that you'll see. If it had a different music track, it would be one of those videos of just like the stitches, like very easily being being like seam ripped and and there's like the bit where the hair the old hair kind of like perfectly kind of like unloops and then equally in the reverse like putting it back together but then there's this the music then then's added onto it and that's kind of the bit that gives the chills <laughs> it's like okay. that kind of to me anyway that kind of like makes it unsettling but the imagery by itself is quite nice and soothing and satisfying but yeah then you then you add this like eerie music to it and it's like oh now i now i feel uncomfortable about it now it's like making my skin crawl what's that thing that looks it looks okay but something about this is making my brain fire off about (laughs) it's it's off yeah and so it's just it's just another way like that they use different techniques to kind of like unsettle you like that is the key kind of theme of of the uh nature of this film is like unsettling it's just all these little like unsettling points because you could probably like take all the exact same scenes and and change what's being 
the words that are being said and the music and you could probably have a very happy film because it's that like they've got that fine lines done so well it could be a, it could you could literally like dub over it and make it a, a different film <laughs> and it would it would work it would work as like just this kid's imaginary world <laughs> Yeah, where this nice old lady gives people free dolls. Yeah, <laughs> maybe maybe not to like the end once we see see the Beldum's like true true form, but definitely yeah. a lot of that like really uneasy, unsettled like feeling that starts to build up before that point could could quite as quite as easily be not unsettling. And that's the whole thing about the the different elements of uh, in this case filmmaking sort of come together. So it's the visuals, it's the the music, it's the yeah, we, within the visuals, the colour, the the way the characters are designed and, yeah, just the dialogue, it all sort of comes across, it comes together to create that that feeling that the director wants. And that's why I say it's, just, it's all done so well, it's, it's just crafted so well to get that response from you. I wonder how, how we should get, should have got a kid uh, on this to, to guess <laughs> how it comes across to Because, I, I, like I said, I feel this is quite a, it is scary in a, in a way. And I just imagine, like, for kids, it must be, like, just very unsettling. And to go to that familiar thing, like, there's a lot of, like, good use of motifs in, in this. So, like, the doll, uh, which is funny because when uh, YB gives Coraline the doll and then she takes it home and she's like, oh, I'm too old for dolls. But she keeps it and <laughs> she keeps it around and then she introduces it to her other, there was another stuffed animal or or something. It's like, clearly you're not as you would have got rid of it. But... Yeah, the, the doll, which is supposed to be, you know, for someone of that age and, and younger, it's like, again, a safety thing. But in this, it, it becomes the, the threat, the thing that is connecting her with the, the biggest form of danger. And obviously, in this case, it's a doll that looks just like her. But then again, the unsettling thing of it looks like her, except it's got buttons where I should be. So that in itself is just like a, this is just off, just does something slightly off and then you later realize the significance uh, of that but the doll itself otherwise just has this ever-present eeriness about it it's just it's just there in places in a way like there are certain shots where the doll is just just watching and obviously it is watching but <laughs> it just comes across of that and then the other one is the key which is a really good motive because that it serves at the beginning at least as the gateway to escapism so for Coraline as I said at the beginning, she's in this space where she's not getting the attention from her from her parents that she wants. Uh, she's you know she's looking for adventure. The way she's like moving about the house or outside the house as well. She's looking to for some escapism, and the key represents that. But then again, that gets flipped because now it's the thing that must be destroyed to keep her safe. So it's again taking those things that were that seemed good flipping them and then suddenly that's the biggest danger and then buttons is like a, a clear one as well because when she goes into the other world you have characters who look just like the real world counterparts except they've got buttons over the eyes and the significance of that being that you know eyes are known as the the window to the soul so the fact that you've got these black closed off eyes is like you can't get a sense of like emotion or that's the real sense of the person and that's what they want to do to Coraline to make her lose her because that's the way that she will lose her soul and that will get captured. So it's just these visual cues used across the film to, again, reinforce the, the feeling, the themes that uh, the creators wanted. It's just, yeah, just very interesting. 
Yeah, definitely. Like the the buttons for eyes is obviously a big a big thing in this this film, and the the idea that you know she takes them, and then we've also got like that collecting the eyes of the ghost children to like free their oh, souls. Yeah. yeah. Uh, out of interest, what colour buttons would you go for in that? <laughs> pink. Okay, cool. Maybe That's... like one pink, one blue. Oh, a different. <laughs> <laughs> she didn't give that choice, but I mean, no, I'd didn't. be like, you're taking my eyes. I'm going to be able to choose which which ones I want. <laughs> <laughs> I'd have to go for a purple. A nice purple. Okay. <laughs> Just wanted to know what, uh, what colour choices would get you what's to. What's your, what's your um, choice? i go for a nice red. Uh, rich red <laughs> and uh, I might consider it so uh, I do want to give a shout to just the the technical feat that it is to make stop motion because it is such a time consuming process I mean making any kind of like animation is a time consuming process in itself but this stop motion where it took so it took four years to make this and you needed hundreds of people making characters, making costumes uh, and the sets that you see uh, on the screen. And like I said, that uh, for the nature of that just means you're, you're dealing with limited sets, limited locations in the store because you can't just go anywhere. It's a big effort. And for those not familiar with the process of stop motion, it requires the figures, so the characters and the objects to be photographed one frame at a time. So even with... 29 full-time animators that this feature had only 90 to 100 seconds of footage were produced per week so for perspective the final film is 100 minutes so just extrapolate that and think about just the painstaking work to move the objects move the figures and you're only getting like 100 seconds per week that is insane and then on top of that you have 3D printing techniques that allowed the filmmakers to create more than 6,000 faces for the movie's characters. So you're getting different features, different reactions, and yeah, just all that. And what really struck me as well was that those little moments, because there were so many moments, like even at the beginning where you had the, uh, the moving company and you had the guy put his foot, like shove his foot in the door as it was trying to be closed and put his hand out to get the tip. Or you had uh, Coraline, I think she was like slightly running down and jumping down the stairs. Just all those little moments that, that add personality, but they had, to be, they had to be filmed, they had to be set up. Like, it's so impressive, like the little touches that were put in. Was there anything that, that stood out to, to you, Tazzy, about just the, the nature of that putting together stop motion? Yeah, I, it's the bit where she's um, jumping on the, uh, you know, the, the carpet. The rugs like oh yeah, got the fold. it's like popping up. Yeah, <laughs> I like when I was watching it. I was just like, it's just that little moment, and it's something that like I definitely remember doing it, doing it as a kid. <laughs> yeah, like and even as an adult, sometimes you know you see it in South Place, and you're just like you step on it, and you're like oh, and you're like oh my god, this is so frustrating. But it's just that like little magic moment because it just made it so such a I don't know like normal thing and just like really really grounded it to just make it more relatable i mean the film's already like really relatable i think i think uh 
anyone can sort of either imagine themselves being in those shoes or or if not they know know a child of at some point that has yeah. sort of felt like that it just yeah i don't know no i get that you've been there you've been empty house you're bored looking for stuff to do so start jumping on stuff and just uh fixating on on little things um how about you dan was there anything in terms of like the the stop motion animation that just stood out to you i think like like i said before it was it's just such a such a well-made movie that there were times it didn't feel like it was even stop motion I, i think there's that scene in the other world where the dad's in the garden and it's just a really sort of beautiful shot of you have all these flowers that turn into Coraline's face. I think that just, yeah, just that's something just stood out. I think it just, I always think about that scene whenever I think about Coraline for, for whatever reason. I think it's just a very well-made shot. I just, it's just a really beautiful movie. Yeah, and that particular scene I feel comes at a moment of, roughly speaking, at a moment where that's like the peak of like Coraline getting it or thinking she's getting everything yeah. she wants. It's like, oh, that's me. And it's like, yeah, I'm I'm the center of this world. That's that's all I wanted, all I thought I wanted. So that's an interesting character, actually. And and we can get into the characters because it's always, is for me, fascinating to see how, how characters are used in a story to either reinforce the themes or just explore like the, the the aspect of the narrative or the different aspects of the narrative. So I feel here, the characters are here to essentially to reinforce just the unsettling nature that is this narrative. Uh, and the dad's like quite interested in that because actually before I get to the dad, I just made sure I always go straight to the cat who's voiced by Keith David and just shout out Keith David because that guy has a voice. Like, he's just the voice <laughs> yeah, where definitely. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's just you cannot hide that voice it's like it's kind of like a Morgan Freeman level <laughs> voice it's just you just hear it yep that's Morgan Freeman yep I know that guy Keith David has just got that uh, that presence in his voice that is yeah and I mean the cat itself is an interesting character because it's presented or at least introduced as a potential threat a potential enemy and then turns out to be a, an ally, seemingly the only character who can apparently freely move between both worlds. We don't see exactly how, but we get that sense. Um, so yeah, in, in the story, and then like I said, the, the other characters are there to kind of reinforce that. So were there, were there any characters that kind of stood out in that sense of like how they related to Coraline and how they made her world unsettling yb yeah <laughs> yeah so interesting yb he's so he's not in the book so he was created for the film okay, like to add exposition to explain certain things to the audience mm. i think yeah i think yb's character because obviously in in the real world yb is like a bit of a chatterbox Coraline finds him quite annoying because he's just always like talking and and not listening to her and but he's 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 a fascinating character and and the fact that his name is literally (laughs) (laughs) Wyborn that's so messed up (laughs) but then obviously then the other YB is doesn't talk and just the way that his two character, two versions of his character are, um, and like being quite stark opposite 
parents, but just really still having like the same core of like just this this kid that really really quite likes Coraline and and wants to just be friends and yeah, he's so awkward. Yeah, <laughs> whether he can speak or not, he's still oh, no, awkward. Yeah, awkward. <laughs> yeah. and I, I say this as someone who can be quite awkward sometimes. Like <laughs> that kid is just just awkward, it, and it, it goes to like character design, just the the posture, just the mm. way it's always. I mean, he's like head tilted, but always like eyes averted a lot of the time. Mm. And then his his other the other YB also gives. I don't know if it's the first hint, but certainly a hint of something's not quite right. I mean, first of all. We, yeah, I made it so he can't talk. That yeah. itself is weird. But just those little moments where like other mothers, like, you know, just indicating, you know, smile and just there's just something going on that he clearly wanted to say but couldn't say. And just like mm. those hints of like, mm, something's not quite right here. Yeah. And because as well, like in, in the real world, he's always like, oh, no, I shouldn't say that. And then in the other world, he's he literally cannot he say to, it yeah. and he wants <laughs> to. <laughs> yeah. What about you, Dan? Is there anyone that stood out to you character-wise? It's um, unsettled. Well, I, I thought the cat was, at first, when I first watched the movie, I thought the cat was very unsettling because um, mm. I didn't know if it was going to turn out to be someone watching, watching Coraline for this other mother. But I would say, I thought, I thought the ladies downstairs and Mr. Babinski, <laughs> I, I, I like them. They're, they're quite funny characters, but they also, they also had this sort of unsettling what are their what are their motivations really sort of thing but yeah i think the cat for me at first was the one that was sort of like mm, i'm not a bit unsure about you i mean the mr bobinski and then oh spinks and oh, i've forgotten the name of the the but the two ladies that like the former burlesque actresses yeah, and yeah. still trying to recapture their <laughs> <laughs> uh their, their glory i mean and their little dogs. squabbles their <laughs> little squabbles as well like <laughs> that was very very entertaining i feel the father i mean we'll definitely get to other mother because as the main antagonist the, the father's an interesting one because he i don't know i was gonna say i mean everyone's weird in, in this but just he like other father when he was playing the piano, I don't know why, there was something just weird, even before the piano kind of turned almost violent, but something just very weird about the way he was playing the piano and playing the song for Coraline, because he was like, oh, I don't play the piano, the piano plays me, and oh, I don't know. <laughs> but even in, in the, the real world, you had uh, the father, again, being like neglectful of of. Uh, Coraline and that whole sequence where she's trying to get her mom and her mom was just not having it like I'm too busy and it goes to the father and the father just seems worn down and beaten and just like oh I'm just this kid again it's like uh, that was that was unsettling even before you got to the the other world and then you've got yeah other mother who main antagonist and you have that troubled mother-daughter relationship in the real world uh, of this mother who gives more priority to her job uh, than than Coraline, and then the other world's uh, mother, who's a shapeshifter, lures Coraline in, and is just like Dan mentioned, it's just that that fake niceness with the the sinister underbelly, and and that's just so uh, I don't know that that just so off putting, like for me mm. personally, just that that fake niceness. Yeah, it's really unsettling. Like, <laughs> my thing is, like, 
I remember, like, I thought as I was watching the film, I was like, oh, I remember feeling like this when I first watched it. It's like, instantly did not trust the other mother. Yeah. <laughs> like, I instantly got, like, the, like, this is not right. And I'm like, Coraline, what is wrong with you? Have you never been, like, taught about stranger danger? Yeah. <laughs> like... I know she looks like your mum, but (laughs) doesn't mean she's not straight. Literally got buttons buttons for her eyes. And you know that it's not your mum because you've literally said, you're not my mum. Yeah. (laughs) And then she goes, oh yeah, I'm your other mother. And she's like, okay, cool. I'm like, (laughs) kid, you're just, you're just waiting to be, to be kidnapped here. Like, it was just like, yeah, sure. Yeah, no worries about it. Like, oh my god i was like really i know you're bored and your parents are ignoring you but did you not get the vibes here you clearly (laughs) it was so funny it just reminds me of that like one there's like a tiktok thing where where it's like a kid and a parent acting scenario where it's like oh yeah and what are you are you the kid's like can i play outside are you gonna you're gonna take candy from from the van and kid's like Mm, yeah no you're not allowed you know this is why you're going outside (laughs) and then they're like no candy don't take candy from strangers okay but what if like and it was all these situations it's like what what if they have a puppy like no you can't you can't strangers they have a puppy (laughs) you gotta be nice if you got a puppy (laughs) and and that like that's that's Coraline or whatever like come on but yeah instant instant creep outs and like just yeah the dad is also just i don't know yeah do you know what it's kind of when i was watching i was like oh the it just takes two has like very Coraline inspired vibes going on after like watch i was like oh yeah anyway yeah (laughs) (laughs) yeah and it's a it's it's quite a small cast again i feel like the nature of stop motion it, it limits you in not necessarily a bad way but keeps that focus on those those characters and i did mention like the movement and just back to mr bobinski who has a lot of movement in in the way his character acts and i just felt that was impressive as well because you got that scene where where she first meets him in the the real world and then he jumps down from from his his place (laughs) like right on top of her like that's a whole again animation sequence to get that across and him doing the handstands and everything all that has to be like set up and shot you don't have to do it and you don't have to do it as much as they showed it but it gets across that personality in yeah just a really impressive way so i think like we touched on some of the themes already and that main one of gratitude and you know the grass is not always greener on the other side because this is a film where Coraline in the very early stages is like one literally wants what's on the other side of uh of the of the door of that gateway but then when she gets it it's like oh it's not exactly what it seems so it's that idea of like constantly chasing something that seems better or more exciting prevents you from appreciating what you already have but then i also wanted to ask is like is what she has so great? Maybe I didn't learn a lesson from the film, but it's because she is she is getting ignored by her parents. I don't know how you both felt about the way the film ends on on that on that theme of what you being grateful for what you have. Because I have I have thoughts on this. Yeah, um, go ahead. So, like, how the film we we meet 
we meet Coraline as they're moving and the parents have like this deadline and I'm wondering if and then once the deadline's over and they 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 make the money and it's like, yeah, cool, we can have your friends over now, we can do the garden, we can have have all this fun. It's like, is it always like that or is it just from the moving that she feels like that? And there's this is just a very short period that she's feeling like this and it's when there's a big change. It's not that her parents are always ignoring her, but this is a vital time that they probably should be giving her a bit more attention because they have just moved up and like uprooted her. Um, and she's very lost and confused and lonely and kind of could do with her parents. But it doesn't seem like they're always like that. Right. I think her perception is that they're always like that because at the end they're like, yeah, we promised that once yeah. we done this. Mm. And it doesn't seem like they have a bad relationship because of no. how she approaches her parents it's not like they've always had a bad relationship it's like it's just this isolated incident right because she's very like her dad notices her doll straight away and like a completely absent parent wouldn't notice that like he literally instantly is like oh so where'd you get that doll from he's like i'm it's kind of like i'm just working on this right now and like I feel like the like Coraline's from Coraline's point of view, which as a kid, that's like, oh my god, the world is ending. Yeah, like, yeah. Pay, she's an only child as well. Like, pay attention to me now. Why are you not pay? Like, she's a bit bratty, bratty in the beginning. She's a bit yeah. like, this is this is how my life should be, and like how I this is my expectations, and like suddenly her extremely high expectations are not being met. Like she's not got friends around. She's got not she's not got people to pay attention to her in the way that she's used to, and it's just that there's a change going on. That's that's what okay. that's what I got from the end of it because they, it was a promise. It was like once the catalog's gone through, we'll give you all the attention. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I promise. Like her mum never went back on any of her promises when she yeah. did. Dan, you're you're the parent here. What, how did you <laughs> take that? Do you know what I think, Tessie, You got it spot on there. I think, and and just from what you were saying as well, and it sort of goes back to some other things we were saying earlier. It's almost like this movie is through a child's eyes. So, like I was saying earlier, with the the colours being sort of muted in the the real world. It's like that's the way Coraline sees the these life. It's like everything's sort of drab and boring. You know, even when she's out shopping with her mum, you know, everything's just really grey. And even her school uniform, I think, was like grey or like a light blue or something like that. It was just a really drab sort of colour. And she goes to this and she other world. The and, gloves, but yeah, exactly. Like and then in this other world, everything's colourful. You know, she goes to see Mr. Babinski and he has puts on a show for her. She goes downstairs and they put on a show for her and everything's just really bright and colourful. And then I think like towards the end of the movie, like when, you know, everything's sort of over and they're in the garden. I think I'm pretty sure that it's it's a lot more colourful then as well, isn't it? It's like... It starts to be... It starts to be colourful, yeah. So it's it's like the movie is through her eyes. It's like this is the child's perspective of everything that's happening. So I don't I don't think it's the parents neglecting her. I just think... She wants their attention, but obviously they they you know life is life is yeah. caught up with them. They need to work, so they just need to get that out of the way, and then they can sort of all just have fun together. 
all right, yeah, you, you convinced me. Because I was like, at the end, I was like, mm, I mean, I get the message, but I mean, damn these parents. <laughs> they don't care. <laughs> Maybe you're better off. Uh, no, but I, I get that. I get that. Is is that, yeah, from that child's perspective. And you do see, like, throughout, there are, like, I, I think back to the meal that they had that looked terrible but again maybe that was just from the child's perspective it looked terrible but it was still the family the dad baking dinner mm-hmm. they were still doing the things that they could just so like you say this temporary situation of like we we are really busy with work and the move and everything so yeah and i did i did like the message of appreciating what you have and and always like tending to your own garden in a literal or metaphorical uh, <laughs> sense and making it the good place and it, again i mentioned the the comic that uh, reading better place which did, sort of ties to similar themes of yeah the, making this the better place i feel i've just spoiled a line from the end of that book but it's still a very fantastic comic uh go read it but yeah in in Coraline, it's like you end with like okay we're gonna make this the, the cool place and we're gonna do that ourselves so i like that uh that message and then you have so the, the message here yeah, facing facing your fears because you do have that stage where yes the other world it looks great everything's great i'm gonna go back and everything's fun and games but then there's a the moment where Coraline knows what this is and she has her parents taken and taken back to the other world and then still goes back in that's like a i have to go into this this now it's a dark place now it's a scary place but i have to do this to get my real parents back and i i also like that kind of courage that showing that courage to face your fears to get what uh, get what you want back out on the other side and then i feel i think tazzy mentioned that <laughs> stranger danger but that's a good uh good way to put that 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 forced or superficial positivity which again is just unsettling to see and i feel that i mean there are th- like you mentioned there are themes that apply in a in the adult world i feel that is is one in different forms where you meet people uh i'm not going to name any names or companies or anything but you get like a you get a face you get a face and it's very very positive but it doesn't that doesn't translate all the way down and in this case you get like a sort of sinister intent down below where yeah for me that's like oh, i just just show me the, the real face uh up front and i can deal with that but it's just like oh yeah everything's great when it's not that kind of thing which from a child's perspective i guess that translates to stranger danger um, but also works from uh, in the adult world. Any other themes that stood out to anyone? I think we've captured them. Yeah, I think that there was one that just popped to my head, but then it like ran away again, as if it was like, <laughs> no, 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 I don't, I don't want to be a theme in this movie. <laughs> All right, cool. Then let's share some favorite moments and have any final thoughts on this. So, were there any particular moments that stood out that connected with either of you? Dan, was there anything that we haven't maybe we haven't mentioned that stood out for you? I think, like I said before, it was like that that scene in the garden. That one always sort of stands out to me. A scene that I always find quite funny. Don't know if it is funny, but is um, when Coraline needs to get away from or sort of distract the other mother. So she grabs the cat and throws it at her, <laughs> and it's just like, oh, nice, nice with the cat. But um, yeah, I always I always sort of laugh at that bit. Tassie, how about you? Is there anything we haven't covered yet? So there's the scene where the cat catches the mice that's actually a rat. Oh, when it, it turns into the rat. 
That's like yeah. when things are falling apart or like the illusion is falling that's apart. That's the first. Yeah, that's yeah, that's right. And and then there was the the fact that the the mice in the real world talk to the upstairs neighbor. Oh, Mister Bobinski. Mister Bobinski and like warn Coraline. And then there's like the scene with the the sisters in the other world where <laughs> once the once Coraline's like finding all the eyes, the children's eyes, and they're like in that weird cocoon egg oh, yeah. thing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and the, all the dogs are back. It's like, just that whole like scene was, was just a lot of fun. That was a lot of fun, yeah. They had yeah. some risque moments for, uh, for kids. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, well, I guess, yeah, burlesque a- actors, but yeah, there's a lot on show. <laughs> okay. Like there, there was ah, there was a moment again, so scary, unsettling moment because the film established that when Coraline goes to this other world, she sleeps and then she wakes up in the real world back to safety. And there's a moment that stood out where I think like the third time or when when you know things weren't right, when she first discovered things aren't right, she goes to sleep and she wakes up still in the other world. And that was just like oh, that was probably one of the yeah. most scary parts because that's like. Like I said already, like home is safety and it's like you're in home and you're not safe. And that's such a scary, that's mm. such a scary thing. So that moment where it's like she she does the thing, she goes to sleep and she wakes up it's like, I'm still here. Yeah. yeah. And the whole like her being under, like she's under the car, she's like, go to sleep, go to sleep, go to sleep. Yeah. She can't go to sleep. And, and she finally does go to sleep. She, by the way, that's what sleep paralysis feels like. But like, that was like the nice version of it. Oh, okay. <laughs> I noted. <laughs> uh, yeah, that was, that was just a, yeah, that was a moment. There was a, another moment I'll throw out. And as I was putting the notes together, I, I, I read that Neil Gaiman didn't like the moment where uh, Coraline is dragged around by the, the Beldum's hand. And then YB rides in on his bike and, and smashes the hand with a rock. And he said, uh, this is a quote, I was uncomfortable with feeling like YB had rescued her at the end. She has to rescue mm. herself. Is that something that either of you felt, either watching it or now that I've brought up this quote? Do you feel like No, that's- I did. I did find that bit a little jarring mm. in a way. I was like happy the for the friendship kind of bond that you see in that moment between them. But I was also like, she's done it by herself all this time. Don't come and try and like white knight <laughs> the situation. <laughs> like, literally, she's literally been to like this mini hell and back and like done so much. And it's kind of like he just swooped in and took the credit. <laughs> A little bit like that. Yeah, A bit yeah. like the vulture from Brooklyn Nine-Nine. <laughs> 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 yeah, I did find come in to take the credit. <laughs> I did find that bit a little bit like bit jarring, and yeah, it was. I was feeling like ugh, he didn't, but I also like just like the friendship bond that kind of happened in that moment. Yeah, so it, yeah. it eased it a bit. But yeah, I, I can understand why 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 Neil Gaiman sort of thought that, especially you know, it's, it's his story. He's clearly got a message to to send with it. I guess that's uh, the Hollywood thing. It made me think of uh, the Tomb Raider film uh, and maybe 
slight spoilers for Tomb Raider. Skip ahead 30 <laughs> seconds if you don't hear that. But because, you know, Lara Croft, Lara Croft, and in the game, she does the things you control her uh, yourself. She's, she's doing all the actions. But then in the film, there's a moment where I think her father comes back. And it, it, I remember watching it and feeling like, oh, it's like a, yeah, the guy comes in to save the girl kind of thing. It doesn't feel like, I mean, it feels slightly off just in general, but also for this particular character who's just is Lara Croft, just the independent female, strong female character. And you're kind of having the story be like, oh, father comes and uh, helps save the day. But yeah, I don't know what to think. <laughs> I don't know what to think about it, but yeah, it's just the thing. And then, the other thing thought I had, um, final thought for me, is that just the parallels to WandaVision, and maybe again, slight spoilers for WandaVision, skip ahead 30 seconds if you don't hear that, but where the Beldam uses her powers to create a whole illusion to lure Coraline in, and you have the situation with WandaVision of uh, Wanda using her powers to create a, an illusion, um, well, for herself. But yeah, I guess, you know, you wouldn't have had that thought in 2009, but... Uh, knowing what we know now, it uh, kind of came across that way. I don't know if that that was the same for anyone else, but or just a me thing. Maybe just a me thing then. Okay, kind of see it, but yeah. Um, but yeah, that is our discussion on Coraline, and she does make that point uh, in the film. It's Coraline, isn't? There's a couple characters who say, "Is it?" I think it's Mr. Bobinski who says, "Like Coraline." Is it him? No, he says Ka- they Car- call him Ka- Caroline. She, they call her Caroline. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, but everyone call, like it happens with all the characters she yeah. meets. They call her Caroline. 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 and gets really mad. And then I go and make the same mistake uh, after watching the film. But uh, anyway, let us know what you think. Give us your feedback on this episode's story discussion. What did you think of the themes in this film? Whether as a uh, as a child or as a fully grown adult like myself. I feel it was creepy. Either way, let us know what you think. Before we wrap for this episode, let's get into this week's storytelling tip. Each time we do a deep dive on the podcast, I like to pull out a storytelling tip for others to consider when making their stories. This is a consideration from someone who also creates stories and likes to learn from the techniques or mistakes of others. So for this episode, I wanted to discuss setting the tone for your story. So this is essentially about the opening sequence of your story and how it can be used to set the tone for the rest of your narrative. So I was really struck by that opening scene of Coraline, seeing a one doll be emptied out so it can be remade into another was captivating enough, or if you're Tazzy, just pleasant, full stop, uh, before you realise its significance to our protagonist's fate later in the story. So your opening sequence, in general, has to capture the attention of your audience. The idea of the open sequence is to give enough information for your audience to introduce some of the key themes of the story and make us anticipate more without giving too much away. And sometimes, as with Coraline, the true meaning may not even be immediately apparent, but will be in good time if you've done the right, uh, the work right. Openings are something I consider a lot of as well when writing my amount of stories. So I'm currently working in the background on ideas for the 11th hour story and in particular the opening which at least at time of uh, recording i've got us exploring the use of flash forwards to predict or showcase future action so showcasing action-packed future plot points 
that might contrast with the present day of the stories and creating that gap so that and hopefully that interest of how did the characters get to there from here uh, so when you're making your stories you can also remember look at what others are doing to get ideas and inspiration for your narrative so let's take a look at some ideas uh, this is one we talked about in episode 117's deep dive in pixar's up we get a complete story in just a few minutes. It's a love story with a deeply sad ending that serves a strong motivation for the main protagonist. And speaking of character motivations, in the video game, Last of Us, we get another incredible example of high emotion, and in this case, trauma, motivating the protagonist, Joel. So taking control as you try and ultimately fail to save your daughter is one of the most memorable openings in any video game that I can remember at least. But you don't have to focus on the protagonist in your opening. In the second of Chris Nolan's Batman trilogy, The Dark Knight, we get a brilliant heist sequence that builds up to show the criminal mastermind that is the movie's villain, the Joker. And if the Joker doesn't have a specific goal, the protagonist of Infinity War certainly does. And this is a film that uses its opening to make very clear what Thanos, who is the protagonist, not antagonist in that film, wants and what he is willing to do to get it. So these are just a few ways that you can use your opening to set the tone of your story and get the audience ready for what is to come. You can use your opening to focus on the voice and setting of your story. It can be used to introduce the main character or the main antagonist. You can also use it to introduce the inciting incident, which sets the stage for the story by showing how the main character's world is about to be changed. So here are four tips for using the opening sequence to set the tone for your story. Number one is establish your setting. So all the examples I mentioned earlier have a clear sense of the environment that the story takes place in. You can use your opening to detail key information that will help build a bigger picture of the environment that your characters are coming into. And keep in mind two pieces of information that your audience should know, where the main characters are and what time it is. So those will help ground them in your story. Number two is start how you mean to go on. So be clear on the voice and the setting of your story and be consistent with it. Your opening is like a promise to the audience. And once you, once you have that, you need to keep it if you want them to stick around. Understanding genre tropes will help with this. And that's not to say you need to stick 100% with them, but knowing what is expected from a genre that you're operating in will help you opening, will help you in the opening with audience expectations. Number three is to show how the main character's world is about to be changed. So if it doesn't, so even if it doesn't include directly, your opening will certainly lead up to your inciting incident. So you want to take time to link your opening to the steps that will eventually irreversibly change things for your characters. And as we saw with Coraline, the opening can introduce a compelling situation that a protagonist will later have to face and deal with. And it's that anticipation of what's to come that can help keep your audience hooked. And last but not least, number four is remember that you can revise it later. So stories are experienced sequentially and linearly, but created in the most non-linear of ways. So just because we're talking about the first sequence in your story doesn't necessarily mean it has to be the first thing you write or that you can't come back to it later and make changes. So keep that in mind. And that is a tip for this episode. If you're creating your own story, uh, let us know what you think about this week's storytelling tip. Or if you've got a tip or question, uh, jump in our Discord or send us an email to 
feedback at myamada.com. And Tazzy, let's check in with our guest. So we love to hear more about any latest projects or news um, that you'd like to highlight, Dan, and also where our listeners can find your find you online and find your social media. Okay. Um, yes, thank you. Um, so I'm on YouTube at Dan's Distillery. So if you want any, uh, if you're interested in gaming or movies, comic book movies, things like that, then um, that's where you can find me on YouTube. I do covers like gameplay reviews, things like that. Um, I'm on Twitter at Dan2Di2. TikTok as well. I'm on everything, I think. You've got a TikTok? I have got a TikTok. It oh, was, cool. wasn't, wasn't my, wasn't something I was intending on doing. Oh, me But um, somebody sort of twisted my arm and I was like, eh, yeah. <laughs> But yeah, so I'm I'm also doing that as well, and obviously on Instagram as well. But um, Dan's Distillery, you can usually be able to find me at on on social media. And um, in terms of anything sort of upcoming, I am actually doing a video on the uh, don't know if you've heard about it, the whole Bayonetta three discourse that happened oh, over the weekend. Yeah, um, someone's not yeah, getting paid enough. Interesting. Yeah. So um, I wasn't going to do I wasn't going to do a video on it, but I just feel like it's it's just called such a stir that I just want to sort of get my thoughts out there of what I think about the whole thing. So yeah, so that will be out tomorrow on the channel. Okay. I look forward to that. Cause I, <laughs> yeah, that's, I mean, I already sort of dipped into the conversation long enough to see the depressing Twitter replies. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's, right. um, yeah, but yeah, any more happier news. Um, I'm looking forward to black Panther, black Panther two next month. And, uh, yeah, just, uh, yeah. Keep an eye on the channel. There'll be new stuff, new stuff every week. I try to get new things on there every week. So yeah. Oh, awesome. Yeah, be interesting to, to get your takes and on happier <laughs> news. Look forward to, uh, like, once Black Panther's, obviously we'll wait a while, yeah, but once Black Panther's out, out look forward to hearing your, your thoughts on that as well. We'll pop some links in the show notes so that you can easily find those. Yeah, so Dan, thanks again for joining us for the... Third time? Is this the hat trick? This might be the hat trick. It might be, it might be, yeah. It might be the hat trick, the hat trick well, of appearances. Thank you for having me again. Cool. Always appreciate um, you coming on when people make time. And if you enjoyed this discussion of Story X Story, please make sure that you subscribe to the podcast. And if you can, give us a five-star rating and review because this helps us reach new listeners and fans of story discussion. And you can check out our own stories on the My Matter website. Uh, so like I said, I will be at a, a couple conventions, um, but you can also check out the website to get all the My Matter titles, including the latest Serious Through the Fog. We also have a website for our gaming stuff. So you can join the gamepad, the Studio 77 Discord community, and check out our new Studio 77 membership for exclusive access to gamepad events and content from the Maya Matter universe. Uh, and one of those events comes as part of our Do I Look Like a Gamer video game representation campaign, which is, uh, is live, has been live for most of the year. And we have our latest event uh, and last event of the year coming up pretty soon. But you can check out the website at looklikeagamer.com. You can see the photos from the photo campaign that we launched with showcasing the 40 players and makers in and around games. And we have more plans for next year. So definitely keep an eye out for that. So check out the website, 
uh, follow us on social media and stay tuned to the podcast. So we release new episodes on Thursdays and those include creator interviews, video game discussions and deep dives into stories across pop culture like the one you just heard. And you can always give us a shout directly. Our email address is feedback at mymatter.com. And our website with links to subscribe is mymatter.com forward slash story x story. So thank you for tuning in. And until next time, stay safe. And remember that stranger danger is real. But for the right buttons, we can overlook it. So <laughs> take care, everyone. 